Today's episode is sponsored by the American Homebrewers Association. Become a part of the U.S.'s largest community of homebrewers for just $48 a year by going to unitedwedrink.com AHA. What exactly do you get with your AHA membership? How about a year-long subscription to Zymergy Magazine, the world's longest-running homebrew magazine? Exclusive deals and discounts at over 2,000 breweries, bars, and bottle shops across America. Discounts on brewers' publication books and merchandise. Access to a huge library of previous HomebrewCon seminars and talks. And early access to purchasing tickets to each year's Great American Beer Festival and Savor. Sign up now by going to unitedwedrink.com AHA and get a year's membership for just $48. And if you sign up now, you'll get a free gift. What's that gift? I'm not saying. You need to go see for yourself. It's pretty great. Support United We Drink, support homebrewing, and support the American Homebrewers Association at unitedwedrink.com slash AHA. The opinions and statements in this podcast do not represent those of the hosts, employers, co-workers, family, or imaginary friends. Now enjoy the show. Happy hour, more like amateur hour. Welcome to United We Drink. Welcome back to a podcast with more listeners than Martin Sismar has valid opinions. Welcome to United We Drink, right here on unitedwedrink.com, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and wherever fine podcasts are found. My name is Mike Urevich, and I am now a solid amateur dog washer. I'm joined by my two co-hosts. First up is a man still in recovery from a Stanley Cup celebration. Here's Phil Palmisano. It's uh, all about jet skis and the Stanley Cup trophy being raised over the Bay of Tampa Bay. <laughs> that but was, hey, Mike, at least you got an a, awesome a, a ball back. Oh, that, that that was hands down the best celebration <laughs> photo I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, what, what was your shot at me there? I didn't hear. I said at least you have a fallback. A fallback? Yeah. Yeah, an amateur dog washer. That, yeah. I think that's, you know, listen, that's uh, talents, you know, are, um, it, uh, you should always learn new talents every day. And I'm very proud of you for becoming Thank an you, amateur Phil. dog washer. <laughs> Next Update up, your LinkedIn page, please. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to do that right as soon as we're done here. And also my MySpace page. Uh, Next up is someone who, against all odds, has a new fucking computer. Here's Joel Codner. <laughs> Forget the computer. I want to know what you charge to wash half uh, German Shepherds, half labs. <laughs> Is this like a mobile detailing kind of thing? No, you got to bring them to my house. <laughs> Deal. All right. Well, I think that this is an awesome show that we put together on the fly at the end of our last episode where we're going to talk about some of the beers that got us into like good beer, craft beer, whatever you may call it. Two of these are foreigns, so I don't know if they're technically craft. <laughs> but we each picked a beer. We all got the same beers, 
uh, so that we can enjoy them together on this show. Um, Joel had a little bit of an issue finding his initial choice. Uh, isn't that right, Joel? That's correct. Uh, my initial pick was Widmer Hefeweizen. I mean, if you want to talk about my true gateway beer, that's the one. But um, I think the the one I picked out for this episode is is still uh, one of those, at least introductory to IPAs in a way. So looking forward to talking about it. Yeah. And, you know, normally we would kick things off with the news, but because we have three beers here for us all to try, we don't want to put them all towards the end of the show. We do have to work tomorrow. Uh, Phil's going to kick us off with his choice. So my choice this evening is a uh, Gapel Kolsch. Um, you guys actually ended up picking up the 16 ounce can, which I'm very jealous about. Uh, I, I went with the traditional 11.2 ounce brown bottle. Um, this beer in particular for me was it, honestly a little bit later into my craft beer sort of experimentation because I jumped directly into American beers uh, pretty quickly. And we're actually one of the beers that we will be doing tonight is one of those beers that I jumped into relatively fast. But Gaffel Kolsch was one of those beers that actually, I think more than anything, made me realize the consistency and and probably increased my respect for some of the light uh, American lagers when it comes to consistency of brewing technique in particular. This beer, which is sort of odd to say because a Kolsch and a lager are two completely different styles. Joel keeps like disappearing into his uh, fake background. But Gaffel Kolsch is uh, light, easy drinking. It's sort of like craft training wheels, in my opinion. So cheers, guys. Uh, are, are we talking about like color clarity or like how yeah let's get into glasses um and it's as i remember it's just you know light golden in color clear um and not like super bubbly uh you're not talking heavy effervescence and, i have a huge opinion, white head on oh mine. well i apparently that's the difference between the um 16 ounce and the uh the bottle so my bottle, the carbonation level on my bottle is actually pretty low. Uh, I, I got to say, I really love the can design. This like matte blue color, very simple, uh, then white text on it. I also really like this little uh, icon on the side that says it's real Kolsch only when it's from Cologne. So they have like their <laughs> own little advertising campaign i guess for uh kolsch brewers uh over there but a couple weeks ago i was over at joel's house and we had i brought a mini keg of fru uh kolsch and first time i've had a kolsch in a long time and i don't know what uh what made me wait so long this is just ridiculously awesome i mean just a nice bready aroma to it and just crisp i i think a good bit of carbonation like effervescent in mouthfeel yeah i gotta go along with everything mike's saying i mean it is beautiful crystal clear i've got it in this double walled uh glass right here the head just will not quit nice 
fluffy hat on it. Didn't even give it an aggressive pour. Um, the bubbles are just beautifully effervescing in the glass, um, just relentlessly. It's beautiful. Uh, you know, just bright, super clear, golden, um, really fantastic. I love, you know, I did not get to go through imports the way a lot of people do when they first get into beer. I feel like the way my timing was, was like, got into a lot of approachable stuff and then started, you know, just during that time, we kept getting more and more breweries from America distributed here. So I was just jumping in on all the American craft stuff and, and really kind of leapfrogged my way over the, uh, the imports. So Truly, I I had never actually tried this one. I uh, hadn't tried the Kolsch you brought over, uh, Mike, either uh, before then. So uh, I am loving these beers. And the other day I picked up a, a six-pack of some old-school traditional imports, in, including, you know, Phil's Saison DuPont, which, I mean, goddamn. But this yeah. one, I mean, like you said, Mike, I love this can. I was just blown away by it when I saw it on the shelf. Beautiful matte, you know, navy blue color. Uh, really great kind of minimalist can. I do love that it's real Kolsch logo. Uh, seems to serve a better purpose than the independent logo, in my uh, <laughs> in my opinion. But um, yeah, it's not stuff. upside down. What the hell? Yeah, um, Phil, can you talk about you know? Do you remember your first time having this? Where it was? Who it was with? Yeah, um, it's so it and it's crazy because I'm aggressively pouring my bottle into my glass and I'm still not getting any head. So I'm just thinking that it's possibly uh, my bottle versus uh, the can, and I I would be curious to see how much fresher yours is than mine. Um, But I am going to be looking for this at the can in a can because I I think the first time, if I remember correctly, I was hanging out uh, poolside with some of my buddies and Joel you're 100% right I sort of jumped past the import scene for quite some time um, as I was getting into craft beer specifically American craft beer and when I had this beer for the first time old you know import friend of mine older gentleman brought some by and I was like man this is really good went to um total wine or abc at that point in time and picked up a six pack and um and ended up uh sitting out by the pool and realized how quickly this six pack went down as my friend which wasn't into craft beer was drinking i think it was miller light at that point in time i challenged him and i gave him one of mine and at that point in time he instantly became a, a craft beer fan um so Gaffel Kolsch, whenever, whenever I try and convert a family member or a friend that doesn't really like, doesn't think they like beer with better flavor, um, Gaffel Kolsch is always where I start them. Yeah, this, I think that Kolsch's are such a great thing to turn people on to better beer, craft beer, uh, what have you. Uh, there, there's, there are some definite differences from this and your macro loggers, but uh, I don't think they're they're too far off. Maybe a little bit of a bigger body than uh, your light uh, American loggers would have, but I, I think very drinkable flavors that I think are should be approachable to practically anyone. 
yeah, you definitely still get some of that like hop spice on the back end of it. Um, it's nice, clean, easy, refreshing. Um, I think we're really lucky because there's a brewery up in Tequesta um, that, in my opinion, does possibly the best American version of this with uh, Tequesta Brewing Company and Der Chancellor. And that's something that, I mean, Mike, our, <laughs> we have stories of driving up to the Treasure Coast and swinging by Tequesta Brewing and uh, the old uh, Corner the Cafe. Pressure? Corner Cafe, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and grabbing some beers on the way back. And Der Chancellor is always been near and dear to my heart and i was really excited to sort of see it and then to sort of compare that as i have uh increased my knowledge into the import kolsch uh, really surprised at how damn close that is um it fantastic beer produced by some really good people up in tequesta yeah shout out to matt webster the former uh head brewer of corner cafe and tequesta he is no longer at tequesta uh, don't really know what what he is up to. Uh, I hope that he's doing well. If he listens to this, uh, miss you, Matt, and uh, reach out. So let's while we're drinking this, Phil, why don't you take us into uh, some news, and we'll get yes. some of that out of the way before heading into these two next beers. So uh, last week or t- two weeks ago, time flies. Um, we discussed the Yingling partnership with uh, Molson Coors, and Molson Coors, this freight train that is Molson Coors, seems to not be slowing down at any point in time. Within the past two weeks, they inked a deal um, partnering up with Coca-Cola and will be producing the Topo Chico um, seltzer, hard seltzer version, which is extremely interesting. But then they also came out and uh, later, uh, earlier this past week, they announced a partnership with a uh, local coffee or a coffee company, La Colombe. Colombe? Did I Colombe. say that right? Colombe. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. La Colombe. And they will uh, actually have the rights to distribute their ready to drink coffees within the convenience and sea store. Uh, to start and then eventually take over um, basically all distribution. My question to you guys is, and I kicked you over some articles on it, which one do you think is a larger success for Molson Coors and uh, why? Uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have to say the La Colombe uh, is probably a bigger deal because it's it's an NA beverage uh, and coffee coffee I think is is a more uh, drank and more widely distributed item than uh, Topo Chico is I th- I still think Topo Chico despite being owned by Coca-Cola is has this kind of uh, cult like following and is still kind of an underground type of thing to a lot of people. I mean, La Colombe might not be necessarily uh, there. There are no Starbucks by any any stretch of the imagination, but they they do have a name for themselves. They have, uh, I think, it's over thirty uh, cafes across the USA, including like their home uh, base of Philly, New York, Washington D.C., Boston, Chicago, Pittsburgh, and L.A. Um, they actually have more locations in LA than they do in Philadelphia. And, uh, they're, 
I've I've actually never had their hot coffee before. I've never gone to never went into uh any of their uh shops in Philly when I lived there or their uh their their original location in the Fishtown neighborhood is really a cool looking spot, but uh never went in there. I've only ever drank their uh cold brews from the cans before. But I'm really confused about this distribution and how this works with Molson Coors who can't distribute their own alcoholic products. They have to go through actual distribution. So how do they distribute a coffee? Do they just then, are they now the, as if the supplier side and selling it to the local distributors? I don't understand. Well, I would see that as they're going to go into the blue network. You know, Anheuser-Busch basically has their own distribution network. Molson Coors is typically tied into the blue network. Um, So is that to say that, like, we would be seeing, just for example, the local uh, Coors distributor down here distributing La Colombe coffee? Correct. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, within within the C store and uh, com- convenience and uh, grocery grocery to start. I I'm, um, and I, then eventually I it would go I... everywhere. Um, the the news article they they specifically for the time being was convenience and gas stations. I, convenience I think was, and yeah. gas, and then it would eventually uh, transition over into grocery, and. I think, you know, I'm surprised that you said the La Colombe uh, piece was more important to you, but I think that it's uh, it's extremely important to get into that. I thought you space. asked what the bigger deal is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, totally. And and I'm surprised that you picked that over Topo Chico. Um, you know, what do you think, Joel, before I get into my reasoning? Well, hopefully I'll not make an ass of myself on uh, this new segment like I did last week because I went and played that back and I was like what the fuck am I talking about <laughs> uh, but anyway uh, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with Mike on this one um, and it's funny because Mike used to never like coffee and always uh, seems to be a very uh, cult member of the Topo Chico fan base um, but I think this you know 10 year long term coffee distribution uh, deal is a much bigger deal than Topo Chico in the long term. I think, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of fanfare and everything when that Topo Chico hard seltzer hits. But um, you know, we don't know what this market's going to look like. Obviously, seltzer is huge, and it's just getting bigger and bigger and everything. But you know, we don't look. You know, we don't know what that's going to look like ten years from now. I think we know that you know coffee is still going to be coffee ten years from now, and uh, you know. It feels late in the game with Seltzer, but at the same time, like I said, you know, Topo Chico has that crazy rabid fan base, including Mike here, and uh, I tried it for the first time uh, <laughs> when you were here, Mike. I, w- I wasn't thrilled with it, honestly, uh, that, that we're going to butt heads again on Seltzer. Oh, wow. But uh, <laughs> n- not a fan at all. Uh, but I'll take um, those bottles off your hand. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> they're gone. My uh, my daughter drank the rest of them. But... <laughs> Uh, the NA ones, uh, just to clarify. Uh, but, you know, it seems like that seltzer is going to hit and be huge to kick off. Like like when the Coors one dropped, I was like, 
I just noticed it at the store. Like I didn't know it was coming. It seemed to arrive with very little fanfare or marketing or advertising. I feel like people are hyped up for this one, but that, you know, the hype always dies down. I think the coffee is a bigger deal in the long term, just like you. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I'm, I'm, I'm baffled. And, uh, I'm also very proud of both of you guys for picking that (laughs) because, um, I, I thought, honestly, I didn't, you know, Joel, your reasoning is almost spot on. I was thinking Mike was automatically going to go to Topo Chico because he is such a fan of the seltzer in particular. Um, and that category, we talk about it week after week after week, the category is just going crazy. When you look at the last four weeks of IRI data, so ending, uh, nine, six, um, Molson, Molson Coors finally cracked into the top five. They're about a 3.2% share of overall business. Above them, you have Constellation, Anheuser-Busch, Boston Beer, and Mark Anthony. When you talk about Mark Anthony and Boston Beer, you're talking nearly 70% of the entire market is just within those top two. (laughs) So Anheuser-Busch is pulling about a 12%. Constellation's pulling about a 5%. Molson Coors is pulling about a 3%. Topo Chico is going to get Molson Coors above Constellation. What was ABI and uh, Constellation? AB is running 12% and Constellation is running 5%. Oh, that, um, there is a big uh, difference on those. Yes, 100%. So I think Molson Coors can get up to Constellation level with Topo Chico. Are they going to be able to compete against Bud Light Seltzer? Are they going to be able to compete against Natty? I'm not really sure. I do think when you look at the RTD segment of NAs, right now that is an area that uh, some people are starting to play and pay attention to. And having a ready-to-drink, well-known coffee company in your portfolio not only diversifies your overall scope of beverage, so now you're a beverage company, you're not a beer or spirits or fermented malt beverage company, you are a beverage company. You have an NA product to go after you know, anything else. And if they can get a solid, which they already have the distribution network lined up, If you can get a solid placement across the United States, all of a sudden you're competing against your Starbucks ready-to-drink coffees. You're competing against, which outside of Starbucks, I don't know of many other ready-to-drink coffees. I I know that there's some smaller brands that are probably more regionalized for us down here in Miami. But for the most part, Starbucks is the national player, and nobody really has been able to go in and compete against them. So I'm I'm very, very curious to see how Molson Coors sort of takes this to a different level because while I think Topo Chico is going to be a game changer, I really do believe the coffee is where they're going to see long-term play. And, it, I mean, everybody drinks coffee, right? Just about, unless you're adversely against it and you just drink tea. I've, but, only, been, I've only been drinking coffee for probably two years now. So I... I'm I'm excited to see what they do uh, with a ready to drink coffee line. I really am. Yeah. So and and I'm sure in two weeks we'll uh, the way that Molson Coors is going, it seems like we'll probably have another topic to discuss uh, with another partnership or acquisition with Molson Coors. Um, but in the meantime, you know, yeah, that's our news for the uh, the two weeks. All right. So I'm gonna hop in here and talk about my beer for this and this is the beer that got me 
into thinking that there was more out there than just what you would typically see commercials for just in any old pub. God, I All right, so I have Samuel Smith Oatmeal Stout from uh, Tadcaster, England. This is, so the, the story around this beer for me, it was July 20, not 20, 2007. I was visiting family in Pennsylvania and my cousin Steve said, hey, you want to uh, go out with me? And uh, my friends were going to this bar that has a lot of different types of beers. And I was like, okay, sure. So he takes me to a place that is called Isaac Newton's in Newtown, PA. And he hands me this binder that is the menu, like hundreds of bottles, 20-something drafts. I have no idea what I'm looking at. And I was just like, pick something for me. He's like, do you like Guinness? I'm like, yeah, I like Guinness. So he orders me this Sam Smith in a bottle. And pretty much uh, you can do the whole, and the rest is history. Um, dark, dark, dark color. Looks viscousy in in the the glass. There's not a whole lot of head to it. There wasn't a whole lot of hiss when I opened uh, when I took the. Oh, Joel, Joel's got a good good bit ahead of on his. I know how to pour. <laughs> I have I have a decent amount ahead on mine on this one as well. Like, this is where the previous iteration of this podcast would make some really immature jokes about that word we keep using, but we're adults now. uh he's he's at head (laughs) big cocoa aromas some vanilla a little bit of coffee this is undercarbed uh (laughs) the my my bottle is uh the uh very full bodied uh mouthfeel and a lot of those same flavors coming coming back over like very viscousy to me uh on the on the mouth but i mean this is what's the what's the abv on this uh doesn't look like it says on the label i think it's like somewhere around six or seven percent you know the crazy thing about this, Mike, is when we were we opened up our Slack channel and we were talking about the different beers that we um, wanted, and you were like, "All right, let's start our list." I'm starting with Sam Smith, and I'm like, "Damn it!" Like that is it, this beer. Um, I hated stouts when I got into craft beer. Like absolutely despised. If you could ever find uh, any historical data through dosebeeregos.com, which doesn't exist anywhere because it's been dormant for quite some time, you would realize that I hated anything that was dark roasted malt. This beer, I had it at a World of Beer in um, the original World of Beer in Tampa, which was fuck, I'm trying to think of where it's actually located, West Chase. Um, I walked in and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with the same Smiths because the waiter, you know, hey, we got a special on same Smiths. And I'm like, who, who would ever have a special on this? So I had it. And 
uh, I remember the guy I was with, I was with uh, a group of friends and one of the guys was like, I only drink Guinness. And the waiter was like, no, you got to try this. And so we, we ordered around to Sam Smith's. And I remember at that point in time, first of all, and it's, it's really funny, the attack, I get great white, uh, um, uh, shark bites. Um, so I get that like tropical, I get a tropical, almost roasty, uh, sweet flavor out of this, but then like the shark bite yeah, fruit can the fruit great snacks. white yeah the great the great white from <laughs> shark bites I've oh, every time I drink this that's the initial thing that I think of, but um I I remember having it at a at a world of beer early early on um it was j- just after they opened in West Chase and uh, and ever since then my mind has been open to stouts and it's funny because. Shortly after, I got real big into those like dark, sticky, um, Zukov, like almost motor oil stouts. But I come back to this one, and I constantly think this is a perfect example of what an oatmeal stout should be. Yeah, and when I remember when you and I first met, and we were getting together and doing like little tastings, we got really big into that. Uh, was it the Blackwater series from uh, Southern Tier and their yeah. stouts? Uh, chocolate and Java and Mocha and Oat. And I remember when Oat came out, I was like, oh, if this is anything like Sam Smith, I'm going to love it. And then I was like kind of let down. It was a good beer, but I'm like, this isn't like Sam Smith. Um, like this brewery's stouts, like this brewery just makes great beer. And... But their stouts, this, the Imperial Stout and the Chocolate Stout are all world-class in my opinion. At one point, I know I was saying Sam Smith and Bells make the best stouts in the world. I mean, when you had Bells doing Expedition, Kalamazoo, uh, uh, they did a Cream Stout, uh, Black Note, like all these insanely good stouts that they were putting out, but it's been, there's going to, I think a theme is going to come up with at least me saying that it's been too long since I've had, uh, an oatmeal stout from Sam Smith. And, uh, I've been really nostalgic lately with going to old brands, legacy brands that, um, we haven't had in a long time. I, I bought a 12 pack of uh, Sierra pale a few weeks ago and was like, damn, this is still such a great beer. Uh, you having Saison DuPont on uh, the Bitter Unit uh, podcast made Joel go and buy a bottle, which made me go and buy a bottle. And it made me jealous that you guys were drinking the said bottles on <laughs> social media. Joel had this like crazy, I'm going to go down memory lane of beer. And I yeah. <laughs> I was um, so jealous it, because I open up my refrigerator and I have nothing but hazy IPAs and fruited, overly fruited sours. And I just drank a seltzer. <laughs> Keep those fruity beers cold too. So Joel, what do you think of this beer? So it's one of those beers that, I mean the word classic just personifies i i love the look of it it has that off white or sorry off yellow kind of faded label uh you know it looks vintage it's got the gold foil along the top of the bottle 
Um, you know, it, it just, it, it looks like it has an esteem to it. And uh, as far as the beer itself, I mean, this is another one of those things where tried very early on in my beer career. It was kind of one of those standards you get introduced to. Um, and this was right around when the bourbon barrel viscosity stout wars were heating up. So, you know, this was one of those things just like old Rasputin, uh, you know, we, we just kind of tried these, enjoyed them, and then just blew right past them and got into a lot of the heavier start that start, ugh, heavier stuff that started uh, hitting shelves and breweries around that time. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful beer. It's, it's you know, on the label it says brewed with uh, well water, malted barley, roasted barley, oatmeal, yeast, and hops. And to me, it tastes like the malt bill is infinitely more complex than what they're telling us i mean it is kind of bittersweet chocolate and vanilla and toffee and caramel um you know mike you were talking viscosity and and full-bodied which i don't disagree with but uh i think you know with our palates now and everything we've tried and all the years since it feels relatively light um you know, I think back in the day, this would have been something where we were just, you know, first introduced to it might have been like, oh, man, this is this is bitter and roasty and and and, and heavy. But to me, it's actually very approachable. And uh, seven percent. Um, I, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful beer. And um, I would like to see more beers like this. You know, not every not every stout has to be consumed with a spoon. Yeah. Uh, to go along with what you were saying about the the label that just classic vintage look uh the gold foil around the neck and over top of the bottle cap that uh they have the foils on practically all of their beers um i mean just down the line like the 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 nut porter or no, i'm sorry the nut brown ale the their english ipa their their pale ale their even their cider their uh uh pure organic lager like i've never i think disliked anything that i've gotten from samuel smith but it all started uh in newtown pa uh with the oatmeal stout for me that nut brown is i i truly believe a very underrated beer um the i love that beer it, it it's funny samuel smith both my father my father-in-law dabbles a little bit into beer um, but my brother-in-law really doesn't at all. And my father-in-law just knows he likes stouts. Um, my my brother-in-law, on the other hand, maybe once or twice a year, he'll come over and he'll be like, hey, I want to have some beers with you. And I, he has to give me a heads up because it's typically around Thanksgiving. And he will only drink Samuel Smith's oatmeal stout. He doesn't drink any other beer. Really? And yeah, it's crazy. Um, and the uh, the nut brown ale is another one that both my father in law and my brother in law love. And um, this past weekend, uh, my father in law stopped by the house and walked into the garage and was like, "Oh, can I grab that?" And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. absolutely not. That is for me." <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's a uh, it you know. It, it's nice to sort of see there's there's that like classic nostalgia behind Samuel Smith's and and Mike I you're a hundred percent right it's been way too long since I had this beer um and, and and that I think is the point of why we're doing this is just to sort of go back and revisit some old friends you know you know it would be kind of fun for us to have a 
recurring segment to where we go back to some of these uh, legacy brands. I, I even kind of hate saying that because it does make them sound old. Uh, but a, a name that popped into my head is like, let's call it "Respect Your Elders," and uh, <laughs> look, every every episode drops on Throwback Thursday. Hey, yeah, oh, that's, that's a good point. That's true. Like, I, I think it would be great to for us to all go back and and have pale ale together to have a, a fat tire. Um, even though, like, we didn't have fat tire down here when we were getting uh, initially into it. Um, no, there, there's so sure many tried things. to trade for it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and when we traveled out to Colorado, I think that was one of the first beers that we we had on that entire trip. Uh, we went to Avery first. Oh, that's uh, right. When we we went out there and had an amazing time, but then we went to New Belgium and got this amazing behind the scenes tour, and uh, just. That's where I I fell in love with 1554 and like this beer is fucking fantastic and I think that that's a highly underappreciated beer. Um, Joel, are you ready to take us into yours or do you need some time before? Uh... <laughs> no, let's do it. Uh, no, uh, no uh, approachability or whatever needed here. I mean, I'm usually drinking Malort and a bunch of other shit on this podcast, so. <laughs> Let's get into it. Um, so my selection for this episode was Dogfish Head 90-Minute Imperial IPA. Um, and not my first choice, honestly. I mean, yes, it was one of the first IPAs I was introduced to. And, and for me, this is the one that was like, boom, here's hops in your face. Th this was one of those beers that I took a sip of for the first time, and I was like, oh, shit, like... This is what people are talking about when they're talking about hops and IPAs. Um, my first choice was Widmer Hefeweizen. That was really my gateway beer. I drank a lot of it in my in my early uh, craft beer days over a decade ago. And unfortunately, it's not available here anymore. But um, I figured I would lean toward the IPA on this one because it really opened my eyes and, and palate, really, toward what you know, is possible as far as flavors. And I have not had this one in, in quite a long time. Uh, for a while, it was honestly hard for me to find uh, a fresh one. But this one uh, looks like it's only about a little over a month old. As yeah. I uh, as I pour it here, it's, it's a beautiful pale color, nice kind of off-white thick head on it. Crystal clear, which is just beautiful. You don't see that in IPAs these days for some reason. <laughs> um, no. I don't know if there's a shortage on filters or centrifuges out there, but <laughs> I don't know if it has to do with like stainless tariffs, but I'm sure we'll get back here one day. But I mean, just a beautiful, um, I mean, the way I hold it up to the light, it feels like when they held up that uh, fucking thing in Jurassic Park with the insect trapped inside it, like that. The amber. It? Yes. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, this is like borderline copper almost. I was just going to say copper in color. And I mean, yeah, and I mean just one whiff into this glass, and it's it's taken me right back to like 2009, 2010. Uh, just the way the Simcoe beer I had from uh, Austin Beer Works yesterday, um, you know, took me back to like about you know the same era. Uh, this does the same. I mean, this smells and looks and tastes just like. 
uh, how IPAs did for quite a bit of time. Um, I mean, I know sweet is not a smell, but you do kind of pick up like you can tell there's malt character to this. Yeah, this is not like caramel, just, like right. This is not just boom hop bomb, and uh, I mean, really beautiful lacing the glass. Uh, head is just sitting right on top of this thing, not going anywhere. Effervescing. Uh, first time I had it was uh, sitting on my couch at home, probably 2009. Um, little old townhouse I used to have not far from where I am now. Uh, I was probably once a week going to Total Wine, buying mixed six-packs. And I would say like this and getting a, a pour of Hop Slam from Larry Bell at... Uh, Jupiter Craft Brewers Festival over a decade ago really um, are, are what really introduced me to what IPAs and and, and hop forward beers could be like. So um, it's exciting to get to try this one again. Take a little sip here. This uh, and man, I mean, it's this is something <laughs> like sticky and like sticky and resinous. Yeah, I mean, it does not want to leave the my oils. Palate. Just yeah, hang around. And somehow more approachable, obviously, than when I was first into beer. I mean, this is something that I taste now, and it's like, yeah, IPA, you know, double IPA. Yeah, that's 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 good. But like back then, it was like, holy shit! Like, what is this I'm tasting? I was afraid of this beer when I was first seeing it. Uh, that I, I was like, I I don't know if I can handle something like this. <laughs> um, and then eventually I tried it and I'm like, okay, like that's, that is really intense in flavor, but I like it. I mean, there's, there's grapefruit, there's like candied orange, like, like when you, uh, you simmer, uh, an orange slice in, in sugar and you get that nice candied orange rind. Um, you, what you were saying about that resinous, like hop oil, just like seems to just sit on your tongue. This is why we, we picked this to go last uh, because we knew that our palates would probably be wrecked after this. Um, this it's so the bouquet like on the nose is just intense. I, I, I don't even know what to say more than that. And I, uh, this is great. <laughs> it feels like you're doing this for the first time again. Do you remember the first time that you had this beer? Me? Yeah. I know Joel talked about yeah, his. I'm asking you. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't remember uh, my first time. It was. It was probably a mix six from uh, Total Wine. Uh, this... I know. I know. I had a number of Dogfish Head beers at Coffee District because Chung over there was practically like Dogfish Head South. Uh, at, at a point, like he always seemed to be doing dogfish head tap takeovers and always had something from them on tap there. This, what about you? It it was, uh, Boca Raton total wine just opened up. So when was that? Uh, Oh, six, nine, Oh, six. Yeah. All right. So 2000, it, it, it was, it was then, and it was my first time walking into Boca Raton Total One, um, and I picked up a sixty-minute, a ninety-minute, and a one-twenty, 
because I thought that's how you were supposed to drink them was 30 <laughs> or 16, 90, um, 120. And, and not knowing I, at that point in time, I was such a novice. I was still very much so into wine. I was really interested in these beers. I heard, you know, amazing things. I was reading all about craft beer and dogfish Head 60 minute was everywhere. Um, and so when I saw 60, 90 and 120, I was like, I got to buy the, I'll buy the vertical and I'm going to do all three of them in one sitting. And I did. Um, and I remember specifically sitting at my old condo on my brown couch watching TV. I had the 60 and I was like, man, this is really good. And I fell in love with 60. I actually started homebrewing because of 60 minute IPA, 90 minute there was something about 90 minute I didn't like. And it, out of the three, it's probably still my least favorite. Um, damn fine beer. But there's something about like the bite on the back end that I just did. It's not um, overly welcoming to me. And then I decided to chug a bottle of 120 um, straight out of the bottle. And uh, I don't One of the best decisions the you ever made. Uh, back then it was, um, <laughs> so <laughs> probably helped me get through the evening. Um, but, uh, you know, it, uh, it, these beers and it's funny because we cracked it. I smelled it. I took a sip of it. And honestly, the first thing I thought of was Jupiter craft brewers festival. Probably that year that, you know, Larry Bell was pouring hop slam or going out to brew at the zoo and volunteering with, uh, at that point in time, fresh beer. Um, and, and pouring, you know, I forget even what they had me pour Gansett or, uh, Summit Brewing Company at one point in time. But this was, this beer brings me back to the very, very beginning of my insanely crazy craft beer journey in South Florida, meeting Mike and then eventually meeting Joel. This, this is, um, this is Ed Roberts in a bottle. If I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna throw it out there uh you know i mean this beer this beer is it as you're much saying it as tastes I like a boy like band it. yes exactly um in sync specifically um tastes like a white button down shirt it, back then i i mean i it it definitely struck up all the memories just now so and i'm i'm going back in for my second pour and i'll tell you what man on a personal note I think dogfish played a very special role in at least my kind of craft beer upbringing because, you know, we we always, even ourselves would refer to South Florida as a beer wasteland back in the day. I mean, there was literally just a few breweries, none of which really distributing or anything. There weren't any tap rooms to go to. We were always hitting up the beer bars and the gastro pubs and the total wines and the bx beer depots and all that so but i i distinctly remember every dogfish like 750 release being a big deal and i loved my antonia the imperial pilsner um what was the one the it had like lemons oh god damn there was a, a special one with lemons the um I'm totally brain farting on half these beers, but there are so many of them. I know, I know, and a little tough. Yeah, was that uh, positive contact? No, that was a cool collaboration. 
Oh yeah, that was what Dan the Automator. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like and of the wrath or wrath of pecans. Um, yeah, the collaborations that they did with artists. Yeah, uh, like yeah. like they had the Miles Davis uh, bitches brew. They did uh, David Johnston uh, stuff. Uh, they, I, I I know that there's tons more. I mean, I remember when the the Brewmasters TV show came out. Uh, I remember. I don't. I don't know if you guys were, but I was at the Funky Buddha Lounge watching the Watch the party. yeah watching the first episode there, and I think we were sitting at the same table. Like people, <laughs> people from our time, uh, that were getting into beer around that time. I if, if you don't say that Dogfish Head was a big inspiration to you and that you were like seeking out those beers, you're a fucking liar. Um. I, I can definitely see people who have gotten in the beer over the last maybe five years or so being like, yeah, the dogfish head was never really something to me and it being true. But I mean, for us getting, getting into this stuff in the late two thousands, I mean, dogfish head were Kings at that point. They still are practically Kings. They're, they're now a part of Boston beer who are the biggest, they are the biggest craft brewery in the country with their uh, uh, partnership now. And uh, that's, I think, for good reason. Uh, Sam is a personable, charismatic person who has, I, I always remember every time you go up to an event that he's working at, first thing he asks you, what's your name? And he says your name back to you, shakes your hand, says it's nice to meet you. I mean... There's still a video out there of us getting him to come up and curse out uh, one of our former coworkers <laughs> at you, Extreme Troy. Beer Beer Fest. <laughs> like he was such a great sport about. He was like not a second thought in his mind. Like, like would you do this? Fuck yeah, I will. <laughs> um, like no, that dude is is super inspirational to uh, I I think what we're involved in today and like uh while we probably don't seek out their beers the way that we used to they're still putting out solid stuff like i, I know uh when i was living in philly i got that uh, they did a mix pack that had that uh uh that low-cal beer that they did um slightly mighty slightly mighty yeah and it had uh sea quench and another sour in it and uh like i'm like this i didn't care too much for the slightly mighty but i can understand why some people would like it and if it's low cal whatever but harping too much uh dogfish head is yeah they they were such an important part of our journey into this stuff yeah i, I think sam sam brings that on himself and you know, while we might not actively seek out the beers the way that we used to, I can honestly say that I actively seek out information from Sam as much as I possibly can, as quickly as I possibly can. Um, if he's on a podcast or uh, doing an interview or writing another book, the guy is an inspiration from a business perspective, as well as honestly just a good human being hands down one of the nicest people in this industry that I've met and 
you know, Mike, you said it, Boston Beer Company right now, dollar trend wise, is better than any other brewery. Um, with the sense they've teamed up with Dogfish Head, Boston Beer and Dogfish Head are a juggernaut a juggernaut yeah that's a that's a great you know i mean you still have yingling which is sitting up there just from a production standpoint but when you look at the dollar trends and the profitability of the brands that boston beer um and dogfish head bring to the table it's insane yeah i mean i know i sent you guys this chart i i've been doing a tiny bit of day trading lately and i just happened to look up (laughs) Sam, you know, the Sam stock and, and it's like a lot of stuff has gone up in the past six months with everything going on. But I mean, their shit has almost tripled. It's over $800 a share and it's it's just nuts. And, you know, to speak on Sam, just a genuine fucking dude. Like, obviously, you know, there are people we don't know behind closed doors, but I I met this dude at the 2011 Saver in, in Washington, D.C., when I was with our friend Ed Roberts, and I guarantee Sam and I were both trashed when we met toward the end of this event. <laughs> and asked me my name, just like you said he does, and then the next time I saw him, which was, I don't know, a CBC or an Extreme Beer Fest, I mean, he remembered. And I'm just like, how is that possible? You know, not, not just because I'm nobody, but the thousands of people he has to meet constantly and to remember is just uncanny. And then, you know, it's cool as shit when you just see him around uh, during like CBC work week or something like that. You know, he's just you see him coming at you down the street and you're like, yo, what's up, Sam? And he high fives you like, hey, good morning, fellas. And he's just he's cool as shit. Oh, yeah, that was in Philly. We were we were just walking yeah. past him and he like gave us high fives. <laughs> Our, uh, our marketing, uh, the head of the East Coast marketing team with Canarchy, specifically with Cigar City, used to work with Dogfish Head back when um, the TV show was going on and all the music collaborations oh, really? and everything. Yeah, and uh, Maria, and, and I would love to have Maria. It, it actually it sort of hit a fuse. We should totally invite Maria on. Um, she has some of the best Sam stories she can't speak higher of a human being than she speaks of Sam on a daily basis. And she, she worked with Tito's. Uh, she worked at summit brewing company. She worked with dogfish head and she was with dogfish head during that like crazy, crazy time of brew masters. And she, it tells me all the time. Sam's one of the best people I know in this industry. And, it, you know, so I think even behind closed doors, this guy's, you know, probably as cool as he comes across out in public, which is pretty, pretty rad. Yeah. Uh, I, I well, agree we've that. totally fanboyed out on Sam. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when uh, Maria was at Extreme Beer Fest and could not. Mariah. Is it Mariah? His his wife's name is Mariah. Sorry, I thought Phil said Maria. I, Phil. Well, yeah, Phil's Maria, talking about uh, Maria's our marketing imp- head yeah. for the East Coast. Ah, sorry. Confusing. Well, uh, I <laughs> I just remember her uh commenting something about uh you gotta try that coffee thingy from Lucky Buddha. <laughs> Lucky Buddha. Lucky Buddha. Yeah, B U D D A H. Yeah, but the coffee thingy. <laughs> 
And she was like, that's what that Sam dictated this to me. And I just wrote it. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good. Like good person. Good people. Um, anything anyone wants to add about any of these, uh, three beers and and i know that i put this out there on social media a few days ago uh as to what we were drinking so that people could uh grab them and and uh join along and 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 have these with us if they're enjoying our show in the comfort of their own home uh so anyone want to add anything else to this no i i honestly i think we we found a pretty cool segment. I mean, most of us drink during this show as it is, and I'll give up my sober Sundays if you guys want. Um, but I, I love the fact that the idea came out of the three of us talking about three different beers that really got us into um, craft beer either further or, you know, early on. And for us to be able to do like a small segment we uh, every other show or every show uh, could be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, at, at least it gives us, you know... Uh, Did you just break something, Joel? No, I dropped something. <laughs> Sorry. Us, yeah, it gets us to, uh, to run down memory lane a little bit. Because um, this is... You know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've really enjoyed this. Um, yeah. You know, and, and if anything, I'm going to go right back down the same aisle and try and figure out the beers that continuously brought me back in. And some of those fun reviews that I used to have back in the day on Dos Beer Egos. Oh, Joel, Joel made me definitely want to go back and get a celebrator. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't had that one in a long time, but I, I also love Iyengar's Oktoberfest. I, yes. I remember uh, back in my, my beer reviewing days, that was my favorite Oktoberfest uh, uh, at Penn one point. Oktoberfest for me. I love Penn Oktoberfest. Penn, Penn was a good one. I, I've been enjoying uh, Sierra Nevada's Oktoberfest uh the last uh week or so um all right and and i just want to say uh i feel like going back to you know i know you guys had an issue with this or that as far as carbonation you know it could have been the bottle or whatever but to me buying these beers again i there was a confidence in it to me i felt and just like that little haul i had the other day with some of the old classics and imports I didn't feel like I was taking a chance on anything. I didn't feel like Lindemann's Frambois had fallen off over the years or, yeah. you know, like, oh, this, you know, there was no thought of like, this, this batch is not as good as the last batch. There was none of that, you know, and I feel like sometimes it gets that way when we, when we get into some of the locals or the, the craft stuff, at least American. And, you know, running through all these with you guys, it, it feels great to just, you know, be having something tried and true that we can rely on and we know has stood the test of time. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting into more of these and kind of, you know, going in the Wayback Machine and, and getting into some of this stuff again because I think not to have any sort of air of, like, conservatism or anything like that, but it it does feel sometimes like just going back to the classics is a comfort zone. And... Uh, it's it it's a good feeling to get back into these beers and um, and don't we deserve a little comfort zone in 2020? <laughs> <laughs> but you know something you said, Joel, was uh, 
the feeling like you could trust getting those beers. Yeah. When I when I was in my total wine to grab these beers, the American craft beer section is intense, intimidating, even for a person like me who's been in this industry for so long. And you don't know whether or not you can trust any of it. I went to the foreign, the the import section, and it's like three shelves, yeah. maybe four. Uh, like the the and sh- not shelves, but rack it, uh, racks, uh, with multiple shelves on it, and I felt so relieved. I was just like, okay, there's not that much over here, but it's all stuff that like is like solid. There, there were a few things that I'm like, I've never seen this before. And there was like uh, Australian uh, beers that were all American styles. But I was like, oh, okay. I didn't grab anything. I just put it down. But there is, there's some calm, soothing feelings to going into that import section, seeing some of these classic styles. When I was looking for Sam Smith and Gaffel, picked up my Saison DuPont. I was like, there were like, Boone lambics that we would have never found back in the day. Uh, and there I'm like, oh, marriage parfait, uh, classic goose. Like, oh, sh-. like, mm, I'm going to have to come back and get these uh, eventually. Yeah, I, I, I can't explain it other than just feeling like a weight had been lifted off of me from the intense the intensity that is the American craft section of that store. No, I totally agree. And it's certainly not a knock on total wine. If anything, it's a testament to the growth of the industry, but I was in there the other day too. And, you know, putting together that six pack and, you know, I want to try so many things, but there are so many that I just don't trust or I don't know of yet. And, the intimidation I feel now is a lot different than the intimidation I felt back then. Because back then it was like, oh, I've never tried, uh, you know, whatever before. I'll try one. And now it's like there's 40 of those. And who do I try? Who do I trust? How far has it come? How old is it? Some of these things don't have day codes. You know, with us being a little bit more knowledgeable all these years later, as far as, you know, what goes into packaging quality beer it's it's more of a like a like a trust issue at this point and you know it makes it makes me nervous i mean there are beers from breweries i know and love and i'm still like i i don't know i don't know if i'm going to take a chance on that i don't know if i want to pay you know 8 bucks for a 12 ounce can you know shit like that and you know like phil mentioned when when that store first opened i had just seen the movie 300 at the theater down there. And then we went to total wine afterward because we had heard it open and it was like Candyland. I mean, they were giving out free samples of vodka. like, like, you know, you go to Publix and they're like, Oh, would you like to try a little piece of Turkey on a pretzel? And you go to total wine. It's like, would you like some vodka? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then there's like, they're doing scotch down the next aisle. So to me, it was like just a wonderland. And, you know, I, I remember telling people like, you got to go to Total Wine. The beer section is like the soda section at Publix. And now it's like quadruple that. Yeah. It is massive and overwhelming. And there were certain things that I couldn't find that I was like, it, it should be right here. Where the hell is it? And I'm like, I don't know. If, 
the store is fucking beautiful now and the the high-end like liquors and everything the scotches i mean holy shit i I was just staring i get lost in the bourbon section now yeah yeah it's insanely impressive the single malt scotch sec scotch section is nuts and I just, I walk through there like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to look at. I don't know what to get. It's just, there's so much, you know, too many choices. But um, it's it's cool getting back to these old ones. And like I said, I'm, I'm really looking forward to trying more, more of these with you guys. I totally yeah. find myself just shopping by brewery at this point in time. Like, yeah. I'd, I'd, I know I can trust, you know, say 12 breweries. Um, if I'm going to go out and not grab an individual can or bottle, you know, um, cause every once in a while I will get a little like, Oh, I've heard really good things about that. I'll grab one can, but if it comes to a six pack and it doesn't end in Sierra Nevada, Sam Adams, New Belgium, Cigar City, um, Oscar Blues, Avery, um, and you know, there's a handful of others more than likely I'm going to leave it on the shelf. Um, you know, it, I, it, certain styles I'll go directly right back to what I love. Um, you know, if I want a Blondale, I'm picking up Win, Winwood La Rubia and, and happily drinking all six of those. Um, but if I, it, it is an intimidating section it, and, and you, you hit it on the head when you said, even for somebody that's in the industry, navigating those aisles is just it's daunting you know yeah yeah absolutely you and still it, can't it, find cantillon on the shelf though it <laughs> seems like uh you know you can get marriage parfait and you can get all the other crazy amazing goozes and lambics and uh and for some odd reason cantillon seems to be the only brewery that is 100 percent recession proof so <laughs> just had zwan today uh american free yep uh this year yep yep and and so. i don't know how i don't know how this comment is going to be interpreted and and feel free to agree <laughs> or disagree but what <laughs> just looking forward to what you said <laughs> no i i mean i kind of said this to you mike the other day and i won't name names but obviously there are some hype breweries and i think that they kind of waste a little bit of space on those shelves with their like if you're one of those breweries that only does you know a smoothie sour a milkshake ipa and a you know bourbon barrel marshmallow oreo fucking imperial stout and and those are your three main things that everybody you know knows you're known for i don't think anyone gives a single solitary fuck about your amber ale and i don't even know like why it's out there like I get, yeah. why I did get, you like, even make it? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I get you know when they talk about needing to have some sort of core brand to keep the lights on or whatever. But I mean, if your own fan base, you know, your rabid fan base doesn't give a shit about these beers, like I don't know why. Like if I'm looking for an amber ale, I'm not going to get it from the hype brewery. Pick it up from Bell's. Yeah. Damn fine yeah. amber ale. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that this was fun, productive, and uh, something that we can uh, revisit in the future. Uh, Let's move on to getting some last calls in here. Uh, Our point in the show where we give ourselves uh, a specific, well, non-specific amount of time to just 
say what we want to say, do what we want to do, uh, and not be opposed. So, Joel, you want to kick things off? I do. And um, this is something I've wanted to mention a few times on the last few episodes, and I've never really gotten around to it. But um, speaking of revisiting the classics, uh, it took a while, but Dr. Dre's The Chronic is on Spotify, and I have been listening to it constantly. It is one of those start-to-finish albums you know, I, I always talk about 90s hip-hop and how we never knew how good we really had it. And now it's just a complete disaster. And to go back to the chronic... And, and I think about... If you've seen the four-part documentary, The Defiant Ones, on HBO, which is probably my favorite documentary of all time, that traces the upward paths of Dr. Dre and producer Jimmy Iovine and how they eventually came together through Interscope Records and everything, and how Jimmy Iovine talks about the first time he heard The Chronic and was blown away and couldn't believe that Dre just mixed it and, and did everything himself. And you listen to this album and how crisp and clean and just amazing it is. And, you know, when I first heard it, I was 13. So a track like D's Nuts was like listening to a comedy album. You know, that was like the funny track. And now I listen to it. That beat is fucking amazing. And the personnel on this album, I mean, you've got everyone. You've got just Dre and Snoop. And half these tracks, it's not even him. Like, he let everybody else shine. You know, Daz and Corrupt and uh, DOC, Warren G, Lady of Rage. Fucking everybody is on this. Nate Dog, And it's it's just like this this treasure that... You know, just like these beers, we should never step away from for too long. Um, I mean, just, uh, you know, I, I listen to other albums by other people, and you can tell it just doesn't have the same production quality that uh, some other shit you'll hear does. And it, it's just truly impressive after almost 30 years to go back and listen to it, and it still hold up the way it does. Yeah. Well, I was going. I was going to do a music-related uh, last you call. You still can. All right. Uh, it's because of our two-week, every other week thing. Uh, didn't quite get to get this off when it actually happened, but not long ago was the twenty-year anniversary of the release of At the Drive-In's Relationship of Command. This is a monumental album to punk rock, post-hardcore, whatever you want to call it. It changed the way punk rock, hardcore, rock music was at its time. And to this day, I still think that it is one of the best albums that I've ever heard in my life. Um, I, I was just listening to it the other day in the brewery. It was washing kegs and decided to put that on and i mean it just kicks off with such a great song in arc arsenal and just doesn't let up it's it's a nearly flawless album in my opinion i can't believe that it's 20 years old uh at this point in time another one of my favorite all-time albums is uh i i originally thought that it just uh had an anniversary but next month uh botches we are the romans has its 21st anniversary of being released and 
this stuff makes me feel old, but I still listen to these albums on a regular basis. Botches, We Are the Romans is the most important album that I have ever listened to. It truly changed the way I thought about hardcore, heavy metal uh, music. I didn't think that people could write music and make it sound that way. And it highly influenced my writing when I was playing in music. And I still think it's one of the best albums ever made. Uh, but it, it's it's so great to go back and listen to something old like that. Like Joel, I mean, the Chronics, how old, Joel? Like 32. Jesus. So that's yeah, 28 years uh, since that came out. Um, wait. 28. No. You're right. 28 I am right okay <laughs> I haven't had that much I can still do some some quasi quick math there uh but holy shit like at the drive-ins uh relationship of command is still a banger to this day and I if if you're into punk music and you've never heard of at the drive-in never or maybe you've heard of and never listened to them go listen to this album right now and uh, try to tell me that it's not incredible. It's funny. I had all three of those albums were on some type of run within the past 10 days in my house um, to the extent where uh, the kid and the wife took a walk and I put the chronic on and I was blaring it through the house. And uh, <laughs> Dina came walking back into the house and was like, what are you doing? And I was just like, she goes, great album, not for our eight-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, I, all three of those amazing albums. At the Drive-In, I can't believe that's 20 years old. I, that's yeah. uh, that's baffling to me. So as we're uh, just three old men sitting on our lawns, basically telling people to stay off of them, <laughs> um, tonight my last call is going to be in regards to the toys that we actually grew up with. Um, this past week, I, my kid has me on the hunt for some Pokemon cards. And um, as I was out working and surveying stores and checking on my market, um, I stopped by a, uh, a local Walmart to see if it, we had a display up. And um, I, I noticed that uh, some vintage toys are starting to come back pretty hot and heavy. And I think that some of us sort of had this conversation offline um, after post-recording one night. Um, but He-Man in particular, the Masters of the Universe origin set, uh, just re-released and a ton of nostalgia. They, they must've just stocked the shelves and instantly I was taken back to like being a kid and grabbing that figure off the shelf and, um, and, and I, I inspected them pretty heavily, um, and didn't even look at the price because, I mean, what's an action figure? It's it's five bucks, you know, maybe nine bucks, somewhere around there. Um, <laughs> and walking to the register and looking at, you know, Skeletor in particular, which is one of my favorite characters of all time, uh, any any animated series or anything. Uh, I was huge into GI Joes. Um, just baffled that my childhood figure is back in my hands and. Um, get to the register and it's $16 for one action figure. Fuck. And <laughs> that's listen, nothing. I get inflation. I, we, we had a nice little, you know, message group going back and forth, but 
then I ended up going to Instagram and I was talking to um, a friend of mine and he was telling me that Target just re-released a whole bunch of the original mold G.I. Joes and those things. So I was like, no way. I didn't love G.I. Joes. I, I got to check this out. And in particular, um, Cobra Commander, um, Cobra Commander, or like one of the Viper uh, patrolmen. 40 the original like the really big ones yeah no 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 no, no. the the three and three quarter inch figures oh but okay they're super detailed now and they they look amazing they look badass and um i was like oh they got you know destro and uh the baroness and the vipers and i would so i'm looking them up frantically Forty dollars for this action figure for like a Destro figure retail um, fifty yes fifty for the Baroness with a motorcycle, and it is amazing to me that I listen. Yes, there's disposable income and things of that nature. I I guess I lost track of how much action figures actually cost. And to be honest with you, I I bought the Skeletor. I'm staring at the Skeletor. It's actually on my desk set up with the original spawn and a Ren and Stimpy figure that I have from when I was a kid. And I constantly look at it and think there's no way you cost $15. And I honestly don't even really know if it's as cool as it was when I was a kid. Um, you know, and, and it, it's just, I don't know. I, if it wasn't, Listen, if they end up putting Mumra back out with the Thundercats, I'm buying a Mumra. I don't really care what it looks like, but <laughs> at the same time, it's like, man, these it it it's a it's a swift kick, you know. I, it spawns all over my desk, Venom's all over my desk, um, and these toys that we grew up with were so much better than the toys that are out right now. Even though the detail is so insanely amazing, I would take an '80s toy over a 2020 toy any day in my life probably has lead paint on it too which is even better it makes it better yeah exactly so get all off right. our lawn all right get off our lawn phil to stay with you want to plug anything yeah you can follow me and my adventures with toys on uh instagram at p palmasano 77 uh i have been more active on twitter over at dos Beerigos. uh feel free to get me uh hit, uh hit me up and say hey hey joel <laughs> florida duh brewer on instagram and twitter and you can follow me at Mike Loves Beer on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow the show on Twitter at United We Drink. We're on Instagram at United We Drink Pod. We're also on Facebook. Um, you can uh, buy a shirt, sticker, button, mask uh, at our web store, unitedwedrink.com slash store. We'll be back here in two weeks with a new episode, another uh interview episode uh who's going to be joining us phil uh charlie mears uh one of the co-owners of magnanimous brewing out of tampa florida tampa's newest finest brewery um charlie's a good buddy of mine from back in the day through cigar city and uh just the craft beer industry and we're going to be discussing the topic of Opening a craft brewery during a pandemic in 2020. So it should be a fun one to discuss. Charlie's a great guy. If you don't know him, super entertaining to listen to.
looking forward to that one. Uh, in the meantime, uh, thank you everyone for joining us. Make sure to check us out on uh, any of the major podcast streaming services. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and now Amazon Music, who is out there with podcasts as well. So you can subscribe to the show and listen to us on the device of your choice anytime a brand new episode comes out. So we'll be back here in two weeks for a brand new episode then. For everyone here, cheers. Cheers. We are doing, oh shit, I forgot a bottle opener. Um, let me grab that real quick. <laughs> oh, the magic of editing.